Welcome to Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. If you're ready to increase your confidence in conversations and conflict, deepen your self-awareness, expand your connectedness, and enrich your relationship with yourself and other humans you care about, and even those you wish you didn't, you're in the right place. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to Emotional Savvy. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor. Today I want to talk to you about something that is really serious and it's a growing issue in our world and particularly in our culture close to home. So it's not something far away from us, it's something that we're going to meet on an almost daily basis. Something that we probably don't want to think about, but it is something that we have to know about and that issue is mental health and mental illness. And mental illness is nothing to be ashamed about. It's a medical problem. It's like having a heart condition or having diabetes or having a problem with your leg or your hip or something. It's something that's going on within your body that is keeping you from expressing and experiencing full health. And when we think about it that way, It's a little bit of a shift, and it's an important shift in perspective, because I have some statistics here from uh, the American Psychiatric Association, and what it says is that nearly one, in any given year, nearly one in five, 19%, that is, of U.S. citizens, adults, experience some form of mental illness, one in five at some time in a year. Okay, that's a lot of people. One in 24, 4.1% of people in a given year have a serious mental illness. And one in 12, 8.5%, has a substance abuse disorder. And they defined serious mental illness as mental, behavioral, or emotional disorder, excluding developmental and substance abuse disorders resulting in serious functional impairment, which substantially interferes with or limits one or more major life activities. Examples of serious mental illness include major depressive disorders, schizophrenia, and bipolar disorder. So, just think about that. One in five people in the United States, one in five adults, is going to experience something in any given year. You may have a period of depression, three or four months, maybe a little bit longer. Maybe you have anxiety. Many of these things are treatable. All of them are treatable. Many of them are going to disappear after a period of time. Some of them may not. Some of them may need long-term medication. But it's very important to understand that if you happen to be going through a period which qualifies for one of these mental disorders or mental illnesses, that you are simply going through something that other people would be in a wheelchair for, have crutches for, be in a cast, be taking medication for just like you. And if you have someone that you know is going through this, begin to shift your perspective. This person is going through a bad patch. It is not helpful in any way to tell them to ship up 
or to shape up or to get out of it or give your head a shake. It is not any more than it's saying, okay, you've got a broken leg, but get up and walk. It doesn't make any sense. And yet, because it scares us, we have a stigma about mental illness. A mental illness will stop you from being productive, whether that's in your work or in your your uh, relationships, in your daily life. Maybe you don't do the dishes for three weeks. It is going to stop you from being productive. And it will get in the way of healthy relationships for sure because you have significant changes in your thinking and in your emotions or in your behaviors. So when you observe somebody who is having significant disturbances in their thinking, their feeling, or their behaviors, have some compassion. It could be you. You don't like it when somebody makes small of the things that are truly bothering you. So we need to have compassion about mental illness because it has many, many signs. Maybe somebody is eating or sleeping way too much or way too little. Could be something like that. Or or they're they're pulling back, they're withdrawing, they're afraid of things, or their energy levels are low, or they're numbing out, or they're distracting themselves and will not discuss what's really going on for them. And you know they feel helpless, and they feel hopeless, and they may be smoking and drinking more, or they may be doing whatever it does that helps them numb out or distract themselves. And often it's accompanied by mood swings, maybe some really long blows, maybe some manic highs, maybe some absolute deadness, some numbness, and it just keeps showing up. They think of harming themselves, or maybe they just can't perform things on a daily basis like they used to. And just like somebody who's had major surgery, we can't be expecting them to do things. And we can't be telling them to do things that are beyond their capacity at the moment. We need to have compassion. Now, if somebody is actually not having this problem, but is faking this problem, you should be able to discern that too. Not many people do that. Who would do that with the stigma that exists around mental illness? But you need to know that things can be done about it, that we can move forward. You know, I work with people all over the world to help them with their thinking and their feeling and to determine what they need and want. If you're cloudy in your thinking, if you're lacking clarity, then it's a great idea to get some help. Someone who will ask you questions that will help you Dig down in there and find out what are you really thinking? What are you feeling? What are you missing? What are you needing? What's happened in your past that has caused you to maybe be fearful? Or to react strongly or overreact? Where have you resentment in your life that's causing you to have anger issues that manifest as outbursts? All of these things come from what it is we've experienced during our life to date. Let's think about that. You know, if you just think about that you've come from a home that had certain behaviors and you were this tiny little person and when you were born, your brain was not nearly finished growing. It doesn't finish growing till you're 25. So here you are, this little bundle of hopeful joy And you are taking everything in through your senses, what you think, what you feel, 
what you touch, what you hear, you see, all of these things. And you know that little people are always watching. They're putting things in their mouth. They're curious they're, because they don't have language. So what they have is an ability to discern the look on your face, the tone of voice you're using, the way you stand in the world. And they're trying to make sense of how do I keep these giants happy so they'll feed me. And if you come from a home where there was something like childhood emotional neglect or where there were adverse childhood experiences, these things are in the fabric of your being and you need help for that to fully experience and express who you can be. I always tell my clients that people who come for help are the strong people of the world because they say, I want my life to be better. I want my relationships to be better. I want my outcomes to be better. So these are strong people who say, yes, I need help because I want something. Weak people, passive people will just sit in a, in a darkened room and say, oh, no. I don't need help. I don't want help. I don't deserve help. That's what they're really saying. So it's important for us to have compassion for this and to understand that it is not a terrible thing. Yes, it's a difficult thing. Yes, it can feel desperate or desperately anxious or terribly depressed or very confused. All of these things will happen. But people in these situations need help. And they need our compassion, some understanding that something in their life brought them to this place. Maybe it was a biochemical change in their life. Maybe it was a trauma. Something happened. And we need to, first of all, support them to get help. And if it's happened to you, then by all means, know that there's no judgment in going for help. That's what services are there for. It's very important to take advantage of those services, to be able to step up if you can and work with someone like me who can help you understand what is required to become healthy again, to make sure that you are functioning well again, that your relationships can get back on track. So it's very important for us to look at these things. You know, I told you about the American Psychiatric Association talking about how common mental illness is. And do your research. Find out about it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't look down on it. Just understand it's something that happens. It's going to happen to one of five adults at some time in any given year. It is common. You are not alone and help is available. I just wanted to bring you this idea today because I just see too many people looking down on people with mental illness and we really ought not to be doing it. There's no need and I hope that this has helped you see that this is something that requires your compassion. Talk soon. Hello, and welcome back to the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor. I'm really excited to have a fellow podcaster on the show, but in particular, one who's interested in mental health. So welcome to the program, Kristen. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited, too. This is Kristen Walker, and she is the CEO of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Isn't that cool? The <laughs> Mental Health News Radio Network. 
a place where you can go if you have any questions. You know, what's going on? What do I need to know? She's developed a whole network for you of shows. And she's the CEO, and she, and she has a popular webcast, uh, podcast of her own, which, strangely enough, is called the Mental Health News Radio. <laughs> So obviously it, it leapt up from there and she produces additional con, uh, podcasts for other fields of behavioral health, as well as organizations such as McLean Hospital in Boston, Springbrook Behavioral Health in Greenville, South Carolina, and many others. Currently, she's producing over 18 additional podcasts on her network, all dedicated to eradicating the stigma around mental health and addiction disorders. Yay, Kristen. <laughs> Yay, our podcasters. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's a wonderful thing to do. And what need did you see in the marketplace that stimulated you to do that? Well, um, the need was there's there's obviously still so much stigma around mental health. And I thought, this is ridiculous. We can talk about physical health. We can talk about bunion health. We can talk about prostate health. But we can't talk about mental health. Uh, you know, there's such a connotation around it. And I wanted to make a place where we can talk about it. And uh, it's safe and it's friendly and warm. And we can go deep to the bottom of the ocean on topics. And we can laugh also and bubble up at the surface around things and just make it everyday normal conversation, not this stigma that floats around to talking about serious topics. Yeah, and you're so right. I mean, even the fact that we had to create National Depression Awareness Day because things are so hidden, right? Mm -hmm. And that, as you say, we don't want to talk about it. We kind of, you know, maybe right. behind our hand, like, I think there's something wrong or I don't, I'm afraid to tell you what's up with me. And, and yet, you know, we're absolutely happy to talk about things. I live in a gated community for people over 55 and I, I go to the pool now at very, very different times of the day because when I go and there's a crowd, all of the conversations seem to be about bodily functions. <laughs> <laughs> So um, they're happy to talk about that. But as you say, they're not so happy about this. And in my field, dealing with the relentlessly difficult, toxic people in our life, um, so many times, well, first of all, the hijackles, you know, I call them that, Yeah. these difficult people, but they don't want to ever admit that they are one. And then the other people want to keep enabling them and condoning their behavior and making themselves into pretzels and doormats to try to please them, which yes. is an exercise in futility. Yes. And that's why I do my show is to say, Hey, they're telling you it's all your fault. It is not all your fault. There's something else going on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, consequently those shows about toxic people, your hijackals, which I told you, I love that word. Um, are our most popular and most downloaded shows globally. Go figure. <laughs> right. Well, you know, when you go on Facebook and you look for support groups, there are groups just on narcissistic support, for instance, with 58,000 people. Oh, yeah. You Hundreds know, and, of thousands of people. And yeah. the statistics around these people who behave in these ways are growing. And yes. they're growing from the statistical point of view of the diagnosed cases. 
Yes. Which, as we both know, and maybe other people recognize too, hijackals, those relentlessly difficult people who absolutely want to scavenge your relationship for power and control, those people would not be very likely to go and say, I think there's something I need to look at and get a diagnosis. So those statistics are places where they had to have a, a 730 eval or go into prison or a court ordered or something happens. So we know that those statistics are growing in greater numbers than they are in the absolutely available statistical numbers. And why do you think that's happening? Well, I I think that it's like, uh, you know, when I started talking about sexual abuse when I was 15, 16 years old, that was 1984 to 86. You didn't talk about that kind of stuff at that time. And everybody, and then all of a sudden it became okay to talk about it. And people thought, oh my gosh, the stats are rising and there's more sex abuse than there ever has been. And that's simply not true. I think that it's just that people are talking about narcissistic abuse and toxic people now where they didn't before. And I think a lot of that has to do with the um, psychological mind. uh, You know, I was going to just say something I probably shouldn't say on the radio, but anyway, the the psychological warfare that goes on with these people um, lends you to vote, to not want to believe that what's happening is really happening, that this person could actually be completely devoid of empathy. Um, and this is someone that you've poured your heart and soul into. So I think the stats are a reflection of the fact that more and more people are aware to talk about it. And I'm not going to discount the fact that Western society and social media and all of that plays a role in creating a more narcissistic society also. Yeah, there's that. We have have the whole entitlement piece. All of that plays into it. The fact that maybe we weren't the best emotionally available parents, so parents are giving their kids everything and putting them on a pedestal. And then they have more than one child, so if you're doing that with more than one child, the statistics go up. And we continue in that direction. But what got you interested in this? Did you have an experience in your life? Like you were saying at 15, 16, it wasn't talked about much. Was that from an experience in your life that caused you to be aware of this? Well, you know, I didn't, uh, I wasn't aware of the term narcissism until I was in my early 40s. A good friend of mine, which is one of our podcasters, Andrea Schneider, she's a a therapist out in California. Um, I happened to actually be in Florence, Italy when I came across and the narcissist came with me because he was constantly in my head. As you know, that happens. He wasn't there physically. And, um, and I came across her articles um, and I went, Oh my gosh, I just plugged into the matrix and learned how to fly a helicopter in 10 minutes this is what I've been dealing with with this guy. And then as you go through the unraveling process, I realized I wanted to get to the root of why, why have I had so many people like this in my life? Is it me? Because of course, you know, you know, most highly empathetic people think it, it has to be me. And that's what the narcissist wants you to believe is that it's all your fault anyway. But as I went through and, and said, I'm going to get to the root of this, what's the root? And I went back to my parents, um, you know, both, both unfortunately. Um, and it took a long time to unwind and 
a lot of pain to figure that out. But now that I have, I can tell you the greatest things I've done in my life have happened in my mid to late forties because of uncovering this. Yes. And I think your story is not unfamiliar. Yeah. I, I have a Facebook group called Optimized Life. And if, if you, anyone would wonder why I call it that, it's because hijackles will go through your browser history. <laughs> so, yes. um, but many times in there, people will say, until I found this group, I didn't know what was going on. Or until I saw your YouTube video or read an article or book you wrote, I didn't know what was going on. And for that reason, I put out a free ebook called How to Spot a Hijackle. Right, right. <laughs> you know, you can find that at fourrelationshiphelp.com. And because we need that level of awareness that says, oh, it's not me. Right. You know, my part in this may be. I didn't wake up till this moment and now I realize I'm enabling and condoning these behaviors, but these behaviors and what this person is saying about me, male or female is not about me. It's a projection about them. Yes. That's the, that's the most difficult part. You know, all the things that you can read about if you suddenly be around a certain person become the most jealous you've ever been, the most angry, the most uh, possessive, the most whatever, but you're not that way around anyone else. <laughs> it's a good chance that you've got a hijackle in there in your life, and they are using you as their waste receptacle for all of their unhealed wounds. Uh, you know, uh, that that's very vivid, Kristen. <laughs> your waste receptacle for their unhealed wounds. I'm going to write that down because I put that in the description. Um, <clears throat> But it's exactly what happens because let's just talk about the hijackal. Now, the reason I, I use that term is that I don't like people going to the Google goddess, putting in this is happening to me. Google goddess, with no credentials, spits out a psychological diagnosis. Right. And I thought, no. Let's understand that, you know, of course, from a psychological point of view, you look at the DSM-5, there are a whole bunch of traits, and there are different combinations of them that make the different things, like narcissist, borderline, sociopath, psychopath, avoidant personality, you know, all of those things. So why don't we just talk about the traits? So all hijackles drink from the same pool of traits. Right. So yes, they do. I wanted that hijackle term to say, okay, don't separate yourself from this because you go to Google and they tell you you're with a sociopath. Then you create a separation within yourself that says, oh, he or she is a sociopath. The problem right. is over there. Now I am out of the loop. You know, I'm a victim. No, you were unwitting prey. You're not a victim. Right. You were prey of a predator that you didn't know was one. And so don't, I didn't want people to separate themselves from that. I wanted them to realize that their part in it was no boundaries, enabling, condoning. They needed to do their own work yep. and get healthy within themselves to feel empowered to, and get some skills to stand up and say, hey, that's not going to work for me. But what wor would work is this. Are you willing to join me in that? And if they say yes and don't do it, then you put a consequence on it. If they say no, you put the consequence on right then. Not rocket science. But if you've come from a home, like you were saying, where it's normalized, like you look back and say, 
well, of course I became hijackal bait because I was raised around them. I come from an entire layer of hijackals. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my father's entire family, all his brothers and sisters and his mother, hijackals. Yeah. And he's not a hijackal. He was so damaged and hurt by it that he became an extreme passive aggressive. But my mother had electroshock therapy and instantly turned into a borderline hijackal. Yeah. And I was too. So, you know, I... So we have similar grow up, growing up experiences, yes. Right. So <laughs> we both got the ugly t-shirt and the nasty video. That's right. right. Yes, we did. Oh, yeah. And it can take a lifetime to unpack that. Yeah. It does. And, you know, I write a lot for Your Tango at yourtango.com. I'm a relationship expert there. And I wrote an article called The, the Five Sad Beliefs You May Have If You Were Raised by a Toxic Person. And that's basically what you just touched on, Kristen, is that stuff that went in there before you even had language. All oh, absolutely. The you took in, and they became your operating system, but your operating system was installed with worms and viruses. Yes. And you don't know it. So when we come back in part two, let's talk more about that. I want to revisit this idea of being a waste receptacle for your unhealed <laughs> wounds. And my guest today is Kristen Walker. She's the CEO of the Mental Health News Radio Network, a place she's created because she recognized the need to talk about difficult things. And you can learn more about her at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. And of course, go on the on the page for the show, and you'll see all the wonderful things that uh, ways you can connect with her. And we'll be talking in part two about these things and much, much more. So stay tuned. Okay, so welcome to part two. This is the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor. My guest today is Kristen Walker, the CEO of the Mental Health News Radio Network. And she just said the most wonderful thing. I mean, it's not a nice thing, but she said it so well. She said, when you're thinking about hijackals, that you become the waste receptacle for their unhealed wounds. And whoa, it is so right on because there you are, you know, how can I please you? How can I be compassionate towards you? How can I nurture you? How can I fix you? How can I heal you? And they are, have no interest in healing because no. they believe there's nothing wrong with them. Yep. And so they just keep dumping that waste on you. So thanks for that. Absolutely. I say, and even I've said this on my own show, that they want to take a vacation from all the angst and pain and horror that they carry around with that uh, doesn't go anywhere and doesn't get resolved or healed because they don't think they have a problem and their facade is so important to them that um, they're looking like a moth to a flame. They're looking for any highly empathic person out there that will take all that on so that not only can they dump it all into you, they also get a vacation from it for a while because they get to look at themselves through your eyes which in the beginning is that they're wonderful and they're just this person that needs to be healed. And, you know, that's what they're looking at. They're looking at their reflection of themselves through you and that sustains them until 
you're completely drained dry. I call them the succubus. They start getting more attractive. All of a sudden, they're fitter. They uh, get a book completed, whatever it may be that can happen while you are starting to look haggard, get ill, depressed. Because <laughs> they're feeding off of your life force. They, I, we are energizer bunnies. We are rechargeable batteries, and they are not. So, Well, that's very well put, too. This is fun. We're going to have to do this again. Uh, <laughs> but, but that's so accurate because they are energy vampires. Yes. That's what they want. I was at a conference this weekend with a bunch of high-level thought leaders who chatting with one woman at dinner. And she said, oh, I really love your work. I said, why does it appeal to you so much? She said, I put my husband through medical school. The day that he graduated, he divorced me. That's when I learned what sociopathic behavior is. And I had right. to do all kinds of therapy. So I asked this question, Kristen. I said, what does he do now? Oh, my heart was in my mouth and my mm. stomach was just ready to drop. And it did because she said, he's a child psychiatrist. Oh, great. So he can exert his godlike power and control over innocent children. Wonderful. And we all know in their minds, MD stands for medical deity. <laughs> <laughs> So there he's going to have this influence and control. And think of a place. What could be a more toxic place than a he said, she said situation with a child? Oh, absolutely. And I've had so many guests that have come on that have been narcissistically abused by their therapist. And it's tragic because where the heck do you go and how do you trust to get the help that you need? You really do need from a trained professional when the trained professional is the one that was abusing you. Yeah, and I'm sure you've done this, but for our listeners, you want to see what's up? Just Google the 10 careers of sociopaths. And you will get a list of the 10 top careers. Church, therapist, media, attorney. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Orthopedic surgeon for some reason. You know, oh, I, mean, I guess it's really nice to take saws and drills to people's bodies. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it, it, it is a good example of the point. Like, think about those careers. How do they have power over somebody? And we have to learn to remove ourselves from these narcissistic relationships. How did you do it? Oh, my gosh. How did I do it? (laughs) Woke up to it through reading, uh, wonderful writing about it. Got into therapy with a therapist, actually a few therapists that knew what the heck it was. Yay. And did this podcast and interviewed every expert that I could get my hands on. And thank God now I know you uh, that knew what this was. Um, and I publicly you know, put my journey through the healing of this on my show. I mean, I, I got soul open. I helped me. And I, I just did so many shows about it that that's what really helped me um, grow and learn and see what this is. And now I can finally say they don't smell like chocolate good good yumminess anymore. They used to. Boy, they used to. Oh. I mean, oh, nothing like a really sociopath to, oh, I'm so attracted to them. Now I smell it and I go, that smells like a dirty diaper. I think I'll go the other direction. <laughs> 
that's beautiful. You know, we're both metaphor people, so this is great fun. But, you know, I say that we as hijackal bait also put off a scent. The yes. hijackals are like meerkats and they just pop up. Like, oh, you know. <laughs> so, absolutely. And, and then we don't even know we're doing it because no. we're so normalized. And let's just put a word in here that many times when there has been abuse of this kind, and let's call it what it is, it's abuse. It's oh, not just absolutely. bad behavior. They're having a bad day. They had a terrible childhood. That's on them. You have to look after you. Right. But, you know, when we're putting this, this idea of abuse out there, you know, it's waking up and smelling the herbal tea takes a long time sometimes because they will also abuse you sexually as well as verbally and emotionally and physically. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they didn't, but they may have. And in that sexual abuse mixed with this emotional and verbal abuse, you become a sexualized human Yes. Way beyond your your hormones, like when you're small, you're quite young. Yeah, and so therefore you have to recognize that because you won't have any boundaries because before you had language and the prefrontal lobe development of rational, linear, logical thought. This all made sense to you, so it was normalized to you. And when you wake up and realize you need help, then. The, the process begins and you begin to have to redo and turn over every last piece you were every game. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm listening to you and I'm, yeah, my father was hands down a sociopath. My, I was brought in and around sexual deviancy at, you know, three and four years old. Yeah. So it, that was my normal and it made me, Um, I didn't go the way of some of my friends that have also had this issue. So there's no judgment at all. We all process in the ways that we do, but I didn't go in the way of sleeping with everyone on the planet to work out my issues. I went the way of, okay, I'm going to get in a long-term marriage and I'm going to have as, as little sexual intimacy as possible because that is just dangerous territory. So I've had the other, the other side, but I will say this. um, I had a former NFL player married Uh, come after me like a hot potato, definitely a sociopath. And he triggered all that old stuff from my father, the over-sexualized, we didn't have sex, but we were this close. And, uh, and you were that's his girl. I was his girl, boy, and it it made me go, okay, it's time now for me to really work on that piece around sexual intimacy because it's obviously still there. This guy smelled it all over me. Yes, yes, that's what I mean. We are hijackal bait, and our parents covered us in the pheromones. <laughs> yes, and and then you don't realize it, and when you start taking it apart, and I'm sure because you've done so much work, you've took it taken it apart, yep. and you realize that it happened in this workplace, in this church group, in this store, in this yes. restaurant. You know, like. What? Why do people treat me like this? <laughs> and then you realize that you've got to be the one who gets up on your hind legs and becomes the meerkat, going, "Any hijackals out here?" Mm-mm. Oh, right. let's, they they still crop around, but they don't. Uh, I'm not as attractive. Not nearly. The only thing that's attractive about me is that I have a media platform, and they want to be on it. And they <laughs> sometimes try to flirt with me to think that that's the way to get 
me to promote them. That's what this NFL player did. And, uh, you know, thank, thank goodness for him because now that there's a no fly zone there. Any, the minute someone starts trying to flirt with me, male or female to get, you know, on my show or to get me to do a podcast for them, I'm like, thanks and have good luck with your life. (laughs) (laughs) Have a stellar day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> yep. I don't need anyone telling me how beautiful they think I am and how sexy and all that. No, no, that stuff worked in the past and nope, doesn't work anymore. Nope, doesn't work over here either. Um, and yes, it still happens. I I am ultimate hijacko bait and my borders and my radar is intense. Yeah. Um, but it, I don't think we ever stop being hijacko bait in terms of what they're sensing but we sure learn to quickly put off the fact that uh that may be so bad it doesn't work anymore this station is off the air yeah exactly and have you have you heard that term um gray rocking it oh yes yeah Yeah, i use that in so many ways not just with uh malignant and you know actual personality disordered people i use it in my regular everyday life with just people that are high on the spectrum of narcissism. So, yeah, you know, yeah. And people who are, are uh, passive aggressive and yep. people who are users, we need that. And for those that are listening that don't know what gray rock is, it's just this simple, make yourself about as interesting as a gray rock on the exactly. side of the road. <laughs> exactly. Hmm. Uh, Oh, so you're not rude. You're not anything. You're just so neutral and so, so boring. And they, you know, it's like they they got a live one back to their nest and they're excited because you're kicking and screaming and you're doing all of that. And when you just lie there, like, (laughs) no, oh, that's, that's interesting. Oh, good. See you later. That's gray rock, right? And that's it's also the letting go of your own ego, your own narcissism, because let's face it, it's part of every human being. I, I've learned with, you know, having successful companies that letting people um, quit because I started gray rocking it with them and they were a problem person and I start gray rocking it and they quit and it's all their idea that they quit my life or my employment fantastic because if i had fired them or had broken off the relationship i would have had narcissistic injury to contend with and i'm so okay with my ego about that let them shout from the rooftops i quit her let them email my dog groomer and tell them i quit her i don't care as long as they're gone Oh, I love that. Thanks for sharing that, Kristen. I'm talking with Kristen Walker, CEO of the Mental Health News Radio Network. you gotta, you got to go over there. You'll find her at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. And make sure that you have a look, because if these things are just making you popcorn, like, oh, there's that, and oh, there's that, and that happened to me too, then you want to get more information. And of course, you can always get it here, but Kristen's made something wonderful where you can also go. So go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com. So we have to move out of being a codependent, uh, doormat, a pretzel, uh, whichever metaphor you want, because you know we're trying to change ourselves to make them like us a little more or get out of their way. <laughs> and uh, that's not the right thing. 
we have a right to take up space and draw breath. And we need to be living in that right. And when we have this kind of abuse in our lives, we are not living from the rights that we actually have. And those rights got taken away in the first two years of our lives with living with hijackles. Absolutely. So there's a huge amount of that. And uh, we just have a new product coming out that's all about this, a, a whole course. So stay tuned for that. But... These are such important things. So could you give us a few tips if people are recognizing that they have codependent behavior? Could you give us just two tips before we we have to close? Sure. Um, If you recognize that behavior in yourself, well, get to a therapist that specializes. That would be my first one. Woo woo. Take a course like yours immediately. Um, And the second tip would be... um, Read as much as you can about this from qualified sources. Support groups are great, but a lot of times they're run by narcissists. Uh, They're run by people that really don't know what they're doing. And so be very selective and get advice from someone like you as to, you know, what are the good support groups out there on Facebook and so on. That would be my second piece of advice. Well, thank you. Uh, Yes, I just want to say something about getting help from someone like me. (laughs) Thanks for the shout out. But why is that important? And here's why. If you're recognizing yourself today and you're in a relationship with a hijacker, whether that's your parent, your partner, your ex, your boss, whatever, and you go to just any old therapist that you didn't interview and you didn't ask the pertinent questions, they may not see this. And yes. the hijackals love those therapists. Yes, they do. The hijackal goes along absolutely confident that they can manipulate, exploit, and seduce the charm. Yes. Charm the therapist into their side. And then the person who was so hopeful that going to see a professional was going there were going their their relationship was going to be seen. And they're so disappointed. I've had client, one client came to me after five professionals they worked with who had joined in rewounding them, siding with the hijackal. Yes. So what you said is so important, Kristen. Make sure that you interview a therapist to find out, preferably that there's someone like me who's lived the experience, gone through what, everything that had to be done, and has a PhD in psychology. Please... Do not think that that's available at levels that have no credentials. Yes. There's a lot of people out there who said, well, I've been through it, so I can take you through it. There's so much more going on underneath. Please don't do that. And you're nodding, Kristen. So listen to Kristen. She said, absolutely. (laughs) So my guest today is Kristen Walker. She's the CEO of Mental Health news radio network you can learn more about her at mental health news radio and i'm just delighted that you joined us and brought a great point of view and a lot of fun thanks Kristen. absolutely thank you i'm dr roberta shaler this is part two of my interview with Kristen walker and you can learn more about her work at mentalhealthradionews.com and mine at fourrelationshiphelp.com. And you can always, if you want to just look, you can go to my YouTube channel at Four Relationship Help. Talk soon. Thanks for being here for today's episode of Emotional Savvy. 
If you want to deepen your emotional savvy, make shifts in your relationships, and enjoy life and relationships more, work with me, Dr. Roberta Shaler. Get my books, enjoy my courses, or work with me directly. You can do that by visiting forrelationshiphelp.com, F-O-R, relationship, H-E-L-P.com, and subscribe to Tips for Relationships now. Don't miss a thing. Be empowered this week with more emotional savvy.